What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Big Shots NFL Draft Podcast. I am your host, Mike Hernition. You can find me on Twitter at MikeH underscore draft. It is still really hard for me to get that out with the new handle and everything. But that, anyways, I am joined, as always, by my friend and colleague over at BlueChipScouting.com, Devin the Verified Jackson. You can find him at, on Twitter at RealD underscore Jackson. Devin, how you doing today? Pretty good, man. How you doing? Just... Uh, I, I asked you a question and just went right into my statement. So, <laughs> Do you want to start that over? That, nah, that's how my Monday's going. Uh, <laughs> I hope you're doing well. I'm doing pretty good. Um, just a, another Monday. We're, you know, patiently waiting for the combine to come here in, what, maybe a week and a half or so. Uh, it's coming up very soon. That, that's obviously the next thing on the agenda. But, um that's obviously what we're looking forward to most coming up, you know, in the kind of the next step of scouting and, you know, having numbers to match the players and match their tape, see if their numbers match what they produce on the field and they have people overreact, you know, the, the whole nine or, uh, or what so. But, so yeah, awesome. it, <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> um. Yeah, I'm excited for that. I'm excited to, to you know, continue to delve into these prospects. And uh, how about the XFL, man? Made a comeback? Uh, it did. It did. I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't watch a ton of it, and I didn't really pay too close attention. Uh, it, it's midterms week for me, man. I, got, I, got an, I was writing an essay on Saturday. I was studying for an exam yesterday. That exam's – both of them are, are for Friday. So, or, yeah, like Saturday was writing – uh, an essay Sunday I was studying both of those are Friday so I'm trying to make sure I got a lot of time to kind of prepare myself so the XFL was kind of just on in the background it was it was okay like it was enjoyable it was kind of cool seeing so it's like oh yeah I was really high on you like three four years ago um so it's kind of cool seeing where some of those guys end up um we'll have to see how it plays out because I mean I remember kind of being a little excited about the AAF, and it didn't really last long. But before we get into this week's stuff, um, Devin, you did ask how I was doing, so I'm actually going to answer your question. Um, I'm doing okay. It's uh, it's not as cold here in Toronto. Um, it was about 5 degrees over zero, um, and by that I mean Celsius, so it was probably, you know... 40, 45 degrees Fahrenheit, so it was pretty nice, uh, which is really weird because we got dumped with, like, five inches of snow, like, yesterday, so, like, I mean, Canadian winners, man, they're, they're, they're kind of effed, um, but, Devin, did you hear about, well, obviously you've heard about this, um, it seems like the Big Ten just doesn't want to quit us, because, sure enough, we no longer are a Big Ten sole, you know, podcast, and there just has to be news coming out of the Big Ten. Um, D'Antonio, the coach from the Michigan State Spartans, steps down. And what makes this even, well, I mean, you and I, if you, uh, for those who have stuck with us the whole way, know that we were not the biggest fans of him at any point this year. Uh, constantly calling for his job because the Spartans were playing like, um, well, part of my language, like, like, like shit. Um, but yeah, he had said that he was, he decided he was going to come back and we poked fun at him on a podcast and around Christmas about that one. Cause that was a hilarious quote. 
Uh, and then he steps down. But he steps down three weeks after getting a massive pay bonus, which could not be more Michigan State if it tried. Just the, the entire situation is just... It's, it's rough. It's, really, it's rough. It, it's rough. It's comical. It, you just have to really wonder uh, about what Michigan State was thinking. I mean, we knew that Michigan State was on decline. They really had some rough years in, in the past, what, three, four years since making the college football playoff. They haven't been relevant since, what, 2015? So... Not to mention all of the other scandals and whatnot surrounding not only the school, but even that football program. It was definitely time. I mean, and some of the guys I tweeted out of, uh, you know, when it was announced that, you know, he had stepped down. I said, you know, if I'm them, I'm looking at Luke Fickle and he interviewed and told them no. Like, it's it's not looking good for the Spartans. Well, I mean, the, what they had the Larry Nasser situation and then they, they got the issues with uh, um the basketball coach, his name escapes me. Uh, Tom, uh, it, Tom Izzo. Tom Izzo. Um, and then, you know, some stuff with the football team as well. So it's like the school is having a bunch of problems with their athletic department in general and just really the, the ethical side of things. And it, it's just not a good look to be there. And, you know, should something come down for the school, I don't know if they have, you know, violations or anything like that, but just – Kind of the cloud that surrounds Michigan State is it's really not a healthy situation to be in, especially for a new coach. But yeah, like you said, Luke Fickle was uh, their top person to go after. He said no. Uh, I think they tried to go after defensive coordinator Brent Pry for Penn State. He said no. So uh, it should be interesting to see who they try and get, who they are able to get for the job. I mean, you you're inheriting a job where an iconic coach was there for so long and built up the program and everything like that. It's crazy. I also think that Nick Saban was on the coaching staff at one point, which mm-hmm. is just a whole different other conversation. But man, I mean, Michigan state, you know, I don't know where they go from here. I mean, I think this going to be a rebuild process and they, they might be irrelevant for a couple more years. Yeah, definitely. But uh, let's not spend any more time on the Big Ten. We've kind of escaped that that uh, that doldrum of a conference for the time being. Um, so what we had in mind today, I mean, Devin, what's on Friday? For so, our friends that are in relationships, I mean, could not be me. but <laughs> It ain't me either, but it's Valentine's Day and... I mean, you're going to go on social media and see a bunch of couples or supposed to be couples, I guess. A lot of, yeah, and a lot, a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of things going on with that. I'll leave it at that, but it's Valentine's day and what not, what, what better way to celebrate it than doing a little game of our own. Yeah, so what Devin and I are going to do, because again, right now we're just kind of in that in that waiting game for the Combine where there's a lot of stuff that'll come out afterwards. Team meetings, team fits, we'll get a better understanding. Free agency will hit, uh, so we'll understand a lot more about team needs. Right now we're just kind of in that waiting game. I figured, why don't we do, last week we did Top 25 dueling big boards. This week, did I say last year? Possibly. 
All right. Well, last week, not last year, because we weren't doing this podcast last year, but last week we did dueling top 25 um, big boards. This week we're going to go back and forth uh, one at a time, and we're going to go through just our top five draft crushes, and then we're going to do a quick lightning round of just uh, our top five guys that we feel, whether it's media, whether it's draft Twitter, guys that have just been overhyped or overrated. So we're going to build some people up, make people feel all warm and fuzzy on the inside because it's Valentine's Day. And who doesn't love talking about their crushes, be it, you know, out in the real world or just talking about football players. And then we're going to come back to reality because Devin and I are mean-spirited and we're going to talk about guys that, that are overhyped. Let's do it. All right. So do you want to start first? Who's your number one draft crush this year? Uh, it would have to be Cesar Ruiz. Uh, this is your boy. Uh, discovered him Notre Dame week that when Michigan played Notre Dame, it completely dominated them. Uh, and the offensive line was a big part of that. Cesar Ruiz pulling, knocking guys down at the second level, chipping, double teaming. I mean, he did it all in that game. And um, it's starting to make me happy that people are really starting to hone in on his film and see how good he really is. You know what I'm saying? So, a lot of people are like dead set on Tyler Biotish being could not first. be me. Could not be me. That's oh no, not at all. And a lot of people were set on him going in the first round, most likely to the Chiefs. I think that would be Caesar Ruiz instead. I think he's a lot more versatile. He finishes blocks. You hardly see him get knocked back. I mean, he's always pushing the power forward. There's not a time where you see him five, three, four, five yards in the backfield getting knocked over. Uh, such a great prospect, and people are starting to realize how good he is, starting to see him rise up on people's draft boards. So I think he's someone to keep an eye out on, but I have loved his game, like I said, since that Notre Dame game, Michigan against Notre Dame. Yeah, man, you're talking about interior offensive lineman number one for me. Uh, is Cesar Ruiz. Um, I think a lot of people are still kind of high on Tyler Biotish at that position just because he played well for like two years at Wisconsin before and this year it just kind of came crashing down for him. He really did not have a good year. Uh, even though he won the Remington, when you took it, when I took a deeper dive into his tape when I was down to Mobile, I kind of noticed that maybe he shouldn't have gotten that, that, uh, that trophy. Uh, my first draft crush is going to be, and I have to find him, it, it's Javon Kinlaw. It, it, like, it has to be. Uh, love his film. He's a certified ass kicker. Um, this is a defensive tackle from South Carolina, for those that may not know, but, I mean, he's, he's gonna go high this year. Let's, let's, let's call these some facts. Uh, he's a certified ass kicker. He sheds blocks incredibly easily he dominated against Alabama which not many do uh especially against a pretty good Alabama offensive line um great in terms of pass rusher a little kind of undeveloped against the run I think he's got a sky high ceiling 
uh, very personable guy. Uh, obviously, having to inter- you know you know interacting around him with this uh, with the senior bowl, I he was the talk of the town. I could not get anywhere close enough to actually get you know an interview with him because he was being swarmed by 20, 30, 40, 50 people at a time to try to get a word in. Um, and everybody there, as I think it was our, our guy Kyle Krabs said, like was ready to run through a wall for Javon Kinlaw. Uh, the question is going to be: He's. It's been reported he's got uh, a knee issue that it might be kind of arthritic and degenerative, uh, you know, knee condition. So we'll have to see. Those combine medicals are going to play a big role in deciding in how uh, how high he gets picked. But I've got him a number eight overall on my board. So I mean, I love this kid. Yeah, Ken Law, he really took over really the draft conversation when he was down in Mobile. Uh, a lot of people kind of want Joe Burrow to be down in Mobile, but he really didn't have anything to prove. Javon Kinlaw, a lot of people were like, say, yeah, he's like a mid to late first rounder, but senior ball really jetted up his rankings. And then you go back and look at the film and what he did matched, obviously, what he was doing down in Mobile. So... Yeah, Javon Kinlaw, he, he's a he's an awesome pick, and I honestly thought about putting him in this list, but I, then again, I wanted to kind of highlight some guys that uh, really really haven't gotten a whole ton of love. Oh, I have guys like that too. I just I yeah. wanted to start with the guy. I yeah, legitimately do. Uh, if he asked me to commit murder, I might consider it. Right? <laughs> oh man, that's the quote of the day. Um, <laughs> number two, I'm gonna go with a guy that is hurt, but I saw. A lot of promise in him, which is Bryce Hall um, from Virginia. He is a, a great player, man. Uh, I love his I love his game. I love his tape. Physical corner uh, can can cover out on the island. Really has all the tools to be a great corner. The only thing you hate to see is injuries. Um, and I, honestly, I think he will be in that conversation. It'll be like mid to late first round, maybe early second round uh, conversation, just based on how he was playing up until that point. Now, I mean, he still could be a second-round pick. Maybe a team takes a chance on late in the first round. But just how well he plays. I know ACC wasn't the best conference, wasn't necessarily necessarily the best competition. But, you know, honestly, playing corner, either you got it or you don't, you know. and obviously, playing the competition kind of matters as well. But he's, he's part of a Virginia team that really kind of changed the the narrative on them, you know, on themselves. It helped that the ACC is weaker than it has been in recent years, um, especially this year. But Virginia really took a step forward in the right direction and building something uh, something successful. And he was a part of it. He was definitely a part of it, especially on that defense and. Them losing them, uh, it's great that they still uh, made it to the Orange Bowl, but um, he was missed this season. It is obvious that his coverage skills were missed, but he's someone that I think will, um, when he does get healthy, that he'll he'll be a, a solid pro at the next level and surprise some people with how good he is. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, Bryce Hall would have been a much higher on my board had he have not gotten hurt. Right now he's CB10 just because, again, it's an ACL tear. Uh, which for a corner is is kind of worrisome, uh, but I still, if I remember correctly, he is still in my top 100 players. Uh, he is. He's sitting at 79. I think he'd be a lot higher, obviously, 
if he hadn't have gotten hurt, great player, put on really two and a half years of great tape. So, I mean, he's going to be an immediate impact guy once he's available to play. Um, Number two draft crush for me, Devin, you're an LSU guy. I know you're going to love who I'm about to say. Uh, Clyde Edwards Hilaire, anyone? I was not high on him coming into the year. Uh, didn't really think that he was much of anything. And then the more I watched him, the more I loved him. Uh, he has possibly the best spin move I've ever seen in a running back. And I've been doing this a long time. I've been doing this since 2014. And he's got one of the nastiest spin moves I've ever seen. He's incredibly great with the, uh, you know, with the chop feet movement. Our guy, um... And our boss, Dalton Miller, absolutely loves this kid. Um, another friend of the podcast in Matt Miller has compared him to uh, Mark Ingram. So, I mean, you know you're getting a guy that's going to come in and be able to contribute right away. He's my running back four. He's in my top 60 players. I think that he's probably going to slip somewhere in around, like, end of round two, early round three. And it's going to be a bargain and an immediate impact player. Well, you know, me being an LSU fan, I absolutely love Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Just his game, his passion, his story is great, too. Um, everything about him I love. I mean, just from a, a fan perspective, as a, just as a pure prospect, I mean, that's someone that probably had one of the highest jumps next to Joe Burrow. Honestly, he probably had a higher because he was on nobody's radar going into this year. Um so, yeah, he's definitely someone that I thought about putting on as well. But, you know, like I said, definitely one of some other people that, you know, just a little bit more besides like that, the LSU ties. Uh, my next person is another Michigan guy, Josh Uche. Um, Ooh, under- I, he's a scary dude, man. I've met him down in Mobile and he terrified me. Small, undersized guy, but speed like crazy. I can't wait to see what he tests at the combine. What he clocks in he's at. Built. He is a built dude. Uh, and he's just a terror rush, rushing the passer. I mean, he made life so difficult for tackles in the Big Ten, um, and he absolutely terrorized them. Especially, I mean, even last year too. I mean, last year he was starting to emerge. This year he really broke out. And, I mean, even in Mobile, he had a solid week in Mobile. I think he is going to be day two, day three guy. He's going to have a great value for his pick. Undersized, like I said, but has all the physical tools to be physical. Has a lot of tools in his repertoire. Uh, you got the speed rush, obviously, bull rush. Uh, can have a few spin moves here and there. Great at reading plays, too. He has some coverage skills as well. He literally covered... KJ Hamler down the field 50 yards and deflected a pass away. That just shows how athletic he is. Edge, outside linebacker. You know, it. we'll, we'll see what they put him at the next level, but definitely someone that when you turn on the tape, you, you just sit back and watch and enjoy. Well, it's funny you say that, you know, for Uche going, you know, you know, day two, day three, I was listening to uh, – Locked out NFL draft today with Trevor Sikama and Ben Solak, and they were talking about him being in play for teams in round two. 
but he's going to be a very situational type guy because he's not tall. He's six foot one, and he's not very big. He's about two forty. So there are going to be certain teams that are going to, as a pass rusher off the edge, are going to take him off their boards. However, teams like the Rams, who need a pass rusher and have no problem going with undersized guys, uh, Obanayo Garanquo being the one that, that comes to mind, um, they're not going to have a problem taking him. So he's going to be, like you could tell, uh, I think it was Solak who said like he could go 40 and it wouldn't surprise me, or he could go in the 90s and it wouldn't surprise me. I do think he goes off in the top 100. My next guy in terms of guys that I absolutely love, I'm going to go with a little bit more of an, uh, a guy that doesn't get the, the hype. You know, like I went with Kinlaw and I went with Edwards Hilaire, who got a lot of hype recently. Uh, Matt Pert, the offensive tackle out of UConn. Now, Devin, have you, have you seen this guy yet? I have not yet. All right. So Matt Pert is the right tackle at, uh, uh, was the right tackle at University of Connecticut. He was down in Mobile. Uh, aside from Josh Jones, maybe had the best week down there in terms of the offensive tackles. Uh, great movement skills, athletic, former basketball player, great movement skills. Uh, our guy Jim Nagy absolutely loves him. Um, you know, really has kind of that ability where looking at his footwork, you can tell he can, he can dominate on the, on the right side. He had fantastic tape at Connecticut. But there's also the potential that he can move to the left tackle at the next level. And you're not going to have to spend a first-round pick on him. You could probably get him round two, round three, kind of in that 50 to 65 range. Which, to get a guy that could be a starting left tackle is an absolute bargain. And if I'm not mistaken, I want to say it's Jonah Tulls from the Draft Network has him in his like top 30 players. Which, for a right tackle from Connecticut in the year 2020, is insane. I'm, I'm just checking at it now. Yeah, he's he's got Matt Pert at 29 overall. Which, when you think about that, is insane. Um, but he backs it up. He played very well in the game. He played very well in terms of the practice. One-on-ones didn't seem to get beat really at all the entire week. Uh, he made himself some serious money. And again, I think you can probably get him mid round two, and you might be able to walk away with a, with a bookend tackle. Jeez, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely have to take a look, a look at him for sure. It sounds like he, he's one of those guys that has flown under the radar, especially playing at UConn. We we know that they're not necessarily the best school, you know, to to play at. <laughs> I I mean, I hate to say it like that, but. I mean, sometimes the truth hurts. Yeah, that's coming up real soon. In truth of truth of the the five overrated, but uh, <laughs> moving along on the list, uh, my next one is Bryson Hopkins. Uh, me and you have both been advocates of him. His game, uh, he he's a fantastic tight end, man. Um, obviously, he's not gonna be a Rob Gronkowski type that can dominate the line of scrimmage, George Kittle. But he, he has, has elite receiving skills. Uh, route running is great. Uh, has, has some pretty good speed, too. I'm interested interested to see where he'll rank in, in terms of tight end position, where he'll rank in speed and vertical jump, uh, kind of the measurables. But he is someone that since really since day one that we started the podcast, that me and you both recognize as one of those dudes that he's just a dude. You know, 
goes out, balls out, had three, four different quarterbacks throwing to him. He still found a way to get five, six, seven catches a game. And most of the time when he's getting that many catches, Purdue was winning football games. The games that he was not as involved, didn't really have that many stats, but games they typically lost. So he, he was a big part of the Purdue offense. Um, like I said, he's not the greatest blocker at the moment. Uh, not a lot of tight ends in this day and age come out like that. That also are pretty good at receiving. Um, it seems like either you're one or the other. So it's definitely something you want to see him work on. But just in terms of talent, uh, speed, route running ability, catchability, uh, I love his game. Um, might still be in play for tight end one. I know Cole uh, was a Met. Cole Komet, yeah. Cole Komet is in there. Hunter Bryant is in the conversation. Uh, the tight end from Mizzou was in the conversation. So it should be interesting to see how teams value him, how teams will rank him in terms of other tight ends. But um, for a while, we, we thought he might go in the first round, thinking, you know, obviously the mock drafts had the Patriots going to 32. We're thinking Patriots may, you know, grab him at 32. But now we didn't. Don't know the Tom Brady situation at this point, so they might go quarterback. So we'll see where he goes in the draft. And if a tight end goes off the board in the first round, we had two last year go early. Um, um, damn, their, name, their names are escaping me. Hawkinson. Uh, um, yeah, Noah Font. Um, so both of those guys went not as a dominant, not as dominant tight end class this year, obviously. Um, but Hopkins, he definitely provides that that ability and that speed, and, and uh, definitely someone I'll be keeping an eye on. Just you know, playing tight end in college myself, I think it's fascinating to watch kind of how these tight ends are built, where they do well, where they not do so well, and he was far and wide the best tight end. Well, not far and wide. They also had Pat Fryermuth from Penn State. Uh, who, who gives me a lot more Gronkowski vibes, but yeah, uh, Hopkins w- was that dude in the Big Ten this year. Oh yeah, like I mean, we spoke ad nauseum about how how much we like Bryson Hopkins during the season. He's still still a top two tight end for me. Komet has jumped him, uh, but I mean, we're, there's a guy that we'll talk about with tight ends when we get to the overrated part that uh, definitely fits the bill, but it is not Bryson Hopkins. I love him. He's I uh, believe in my top 50. Taking a look now. He's, yeah, he, he's top 50 for me. He's top, he's at 45. So, I mean, definitely think that he's going to be probably a top 50, you know, draft pick when all is said and done. I'm going to go a little bit off the beaten path here for my next guy. Um, taking a look, trying to find him. I spoke to, uh a little bit about him on Twitter just this past week. Uh, it's the wide receiver from Texas A&M, Courtney Davis. This dude has some of the cleanest, nicest footwork I've ever seen. Um, I was talking with his trainer down in Mobile during the one-on-ones, and he was really showing um, how Davis's advanced uh, route running technique and his footwork leads to him, you know. Uh, winning these one-on-one battles, and I had not watched Courtney Davis before going down to Mobile. Uh, so I'm like, all right, well, I got to watch the tape. And I got to class early uh, last week, so I figured I'd just throw on some film. And, uh, yeah, he's a dude. He's a certified dude. 
Um, I tweeted it out where he caught the ball and made one defender miss, and then by in the span of about five, ten steps, had like six Arkansas defenders chasing him to the end zone. It's like, you know, he just put the entire defense in a blender. Uh, and, you know, we've seen the NFL shy away from some of these big, big-bodied guys that, you know, are kind of jump ball receivers because they can't really separate with route running or they can't separate with speed. Courtney Davis has probably decent speed. I don't expect him to be like a blazer, like um, like a Jerry Judy or a Henry Ruggs, but his footwork and his route running is why he's going to be able to separate at the next level, and I think that that's going to translate to him probably going somewhere on day two. Yeah, I've been seeing a lot of clips of him lately. Uh haven't seen a ton of them. I mean, obviously, I watched him when, you know, he played like LSU and Bama and some of those bigger games. And I guess Bama, he was giving them all types of issues. Um, but, yeah, he, he's definitely uh, a guy that another person that's really benefited, especially from uh, the senior ball. I think his stock has rise as well. Um, definitely someone that people have been talking about a lot lately, and they talked about him a lot down at the senior bowl. So he, he definitely helped himself out, uh, you know, on at the Senior Bowl. But uh, my uh, last person that uh, that I'm gonna mention in, in the top five underrated, you know, guys that I have a draft crush on, uh, safety Xavier McKinney from Alabama. Um, the guy can can cover sideline to sideline. He he can do it all. He was asked to do a lot, a lot similar to what Minka Fitzpatrick, the responsibilities he had at Alabama. And we see how he's turned out in the NFL. And it seems like there's just certain guys, especially with Nick Saban being a defensive guru that he is, that he will give the reins to. Um, and he, Xavier McKinney was one of those guys that he, he gave the reins to and really let you know, call the help call the defense and putting guys in the right position. He just has all the tools, I think, to to be the best safety in this draft. I mean, we talked about it a lot last week between Delpit and McKinney and, you know, what Delpit has been has done over the season, his kind of lack of interest at times and missing tackles and everything like that. And like I was saying last week, you don't see that a lot with McKinney. So um I'm just gonna make this one short and sweet, but I, I think McKinney is a first round safety and I think he'll he might go before Delpit. I mean, Delpit performing super well at the combine might might help and you know, the interviews with teams will help as well, but he is definitely someone that I love to watch play and I think he'll be super successful at the next level. Yeah, that's a good one. I, I still haven't done that uh re dive into his film, so I haven't moved him up or down since we talked last week. Um, obviously it's been a very busy week for me, but, uh, my last guy, uh, I'm going to stay at the same position. I'm pretty sure you know who I'm, who it's going to be, but, uh, I'm just going to get out there. Antoine Winfield Jr. Uh, this has been our guy since October. Um, you know, you and I both love him. Our boss Dalton absolutely loves him. Um, you know, Sure. Has he had some injury concerns? Yes, he has. Is he small? Yes, he is. He's probably 5'8", 5'9". But he'll lay the wood and he'll 
he'll knock you flat on your ass. And he picked off six passes this year and returned one for a touchdown. Sure, it was against Rutgers, but, you know, you can't pick and choose who you return an interception for a touchdown against. Like, he just dominated, and he was much of the reason why that Minnesota defense was so good this year when their offense was... Well, we, we, we talked a lot about their offense this year, and I'd prefer not to, to delve back into that because, well, obviously we'd have to talk about how inconsistent their offense was, and I really don't want to do that. But Antoine Winfield was the epitome of consistency. He was, at times, the best defensive back in the Big Ten that didn't play for Ohio State, which is saying a lot. There were some really good defensive back play this year uh, in the conference, and I think that throughout the year... Um, he kind of maintained that he is the best draft prospect in the secondary from a Big Ten school that is not Ohio State. And I'm not sure where he's going to go. I hope he passes his medicals and that he's going to be, you know, he blazes up, you know, um, you know the athletic testing because that could mean that he's going to go like top 50, top 60 picks. And I believe our guy Dalton has a bet around Antoine Winfield Jr. So, uh, you know, we don't want to see our boss lose that. Yeah, I mean, we love Antoine Winfield Jr. Uh, maybe one day we'll be able to get him on the podcast, man. That'd be uh, amazing. That'll be, that'll, be, that'll be awesome to talk to him and just hear just, you know, his knowledge for the game, you know, being – the son of an NFL player on the cut of an NFL player. That, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't want to mention that too much because I, I felt like, you know, he, he gets a lot of questions about that anyway. But I'll be cool just to hear, you know. But yeah, I, I definitely, that's definitely another guy I would certainly talk about putting on the list for sure. He's, he's amazing, man. And a lot of people. Uh, up until probably like a month or two ago, they really didn't know much about him. But now he's forty seventh on my big board. Could rise up some more with a, a a good combine. Very much so. All right, so you know we we made everybody feel nice and good on the inside. We talked about some guys that that we really like, like you know Caesar Ruiz. Who, by the way, I didn't mention this when you mentioned Caesar Ruiz. He's a top forty player on my board. Now it's time to break some hearts, because sometimes, and I've been there before, Devin, sometimes your relationship ends on on Valentine's Day, so you gotta let some down, you gotta let some people down easy. So you and I are gonna let some people down, maybe not so easy. Um, let's talk about some guys that are overrated, eh? Let's do it. Uh, you wanna go first? Yep. Now we're just gonna uh, kind of breeze through these, because we go a little long today. Yeah. For sure. Uh, number one, I hope you're listening, Trayvon Diggs. Yep. Um, just did not have a good year this year, to be honest. Um, and for the longest while, people have him in the first round going the first round. I think he's a second rounder at this point. Um, has a talent. Has the ability. Just way too much inconsistency. Uh, the big one of the biggest turnoffs was the LSU game. He was getting absolutely torched, and I get that you know it was Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson and all those guys, but my God, he was getting torched against Texas A&M too. I mean, it's it's not 
when you turn on this film, it's not a pretty sight when he goes against these these really talented receivers. I honestly want to see the one-on-one film between him and Jerry Judy, him and Henry Ruggs, uh, him him and Devontae Smith. I mean, that I would pay to be a fly on the wall at that practice just to see how he matches up against those guys. But uh, he, he was... He was going back and forth in high school between college, like receiver and corner, and ah, he just he just doesn't do it for me, man. All right, I'm gonna get into my first overrated guy, and uh, it's a guy that you know the hype is starting to die down on him, but it's still too high for my liking, and that's Jalen Hurts. Yeah, yeah, he's still not very good. Um, I'm sorry. There, there's a limit to how far winning can get you. QB wins are not a relevant stat. He still struggles in terms of accuracy, throwing catchable balls. And sure, he had a great connection with CeeDee Lamb when you look at the box score. But when you actually watch the film, it's mostly CeeDee Lamb having to make unreal catches because it's a very inaccurate throw coming from Jalen Hurts. I don't have him in my top 100 players. Yeah, he he's had a rough, uh, honestly... Winning cures everything, and it blinds people. But, I mean, the draft process is going to really unveil itself. Senior Bowl is going to unveil itself. and Oh, he played like garbage at the Senior Bowl, man. He, during the practice, he was horrific. Uh, the first day, he was possibly the worst quarterback down there. And then the second day, he was – well, he was better than Shea Patterson. So – not exactly the the type of company you want to be keeping. Not at all. Who's um, your next guy? Next guy, he is Jake Fromm. Yeah. I I just never really got into his game, man. You know, a lot of people were saying he regressed this year, man. He really he, did. he regressed a lot. A lot of people had him going possibly first round. Oh, I definitely did. He. And he just uh, he just doesn't do it for me. Just another one of those guys. And he just feels like a game manager, you know? Like, he just – he's a great guy. He's a great leader. He just doesn't have anything he excels at. You know, he's, like, pretty good at a lot of things, but not good at just one thing. Like, the South Carolina game is a perfect example, just not a – not a great game at all. Really, a lot of his games this year just weren't, like, off the chart. And, I mean, some of that is due to Georgia's offense. They're not – they're starting to get built like a lot like the old Bama. You know, game managers at quarterback, got a great defense around them, great offensive line, great running game, great running backs. It kind of sucks. Uh, I mean, the last potent, potent – passer to come out of Georgia that's had a successful NFL career is Matthew Stafford. I mean, Aaron Aaron Murray was a failed experiment. Looks like he's going to be another failed experiment in XFL. Uh, he's, he's struggling in the AAF. And they had Justin Fields on a roster. We know where he's at now. So uh, Jake Fromm, he's going he's gonna to be a solid, solid, he's going to be a solid star in the NFL. I don't think he'll ever be a star. I don't think he's ever going to be one to, like, take a team over the hump. Solid backup, too. But I just don't see him being that transcendent-type quarterback. 
And I mean, it's kind of unfortunate, but he's just not not as as good as everyone thinks. Yeah, man, I've comped him to Alex Smith. He's a game manager. Those guys shouldn't be going in round one anymore. He's not athletic. Not really. I mean, he's just he's just okay. He doesn't have a strong arm. He's not athletic. He's a game manager type that needs everything to be kind of laid out perfectly for him. He regressed from his freshman year. He kind of had the same career trajectory as Christian Hackenberg. Just not a very good comparison. Or not a very good uh, uh, company to be kept with. Uh, and in terms of comparison, they're, they're not at all in terms of uh, like height and weight and anything. Uh, my next overrated guy, you and I have, have touched on him a lot this year. It's Anthony McFarland Jr. Um, I just I just don't see it, man. Um, he had a great game in his redshirt freshman year for the Terrapins against Ohio State. And this year did precisely nothing. Even when Maryland had those first two games of the year, he did like virtually nothing against Howard and he had a decent game against Syracuse. And then we started seeing like six carries for 10 yards, three carries for eight yards. Like he's just stopped doing anything. And I think that there is a place for him. I think that a lot of it is just because Maryland was terrible this year. But I think that I've seen him places where he's listed as a top 10 running back and he's 17th on mine. Behind guys like Rodney Smith from Minnesota, who didn't get a um, a uh, Senior Bowl invite, and I don't even think got a Combine invite, uh, he's in that kind of Tavian Feaster from South Carolina, Reggie Corbin area, and he is nowhere near like the AJ Dillon, you know, Benjamin Keyshawn Vaughn territory that I've seen him in. Yeah, he's another guy. Like we we talked about it all year. All season long, he was a disappointment for Maryland. Like, that was supposed to be the one bright spot for Maryland. Uh, we knew Josh Jackson was, uh eh, he's okay. And eventually he got exposed. But uh, like we said, we didn't know if McFarland was dealing with injury. We didn't know if he was dealing with whatever. And he just did not play well at all this year. Who's your next guy, man? Austin Jackson from USC. Ooh, I like him. Ah, I, I, I really, I just don't really like his game. Uh, I know he had a really not a good game against Iowa in the bowl. Oh no, game. he did not. <laughs> um, I don't know, man. I, I, just USC as a team. I just didn't like the team per se. Um, I think he, he, I think he'll be a good player. I just don't think where people are ranking him is where. That's kind of where my issue is. Like, he's a solid tackle. I think he'll be solid in the league, but I don't. I don't think he's as good as people are hyping him up to be. And in, in that, you know, 20, 30, 40 range. Uh, more seeing like fifty, sixty range in terms of top one hundred players. Um, and I don't know. Sometimes. He he may he, he may, he's a like I was saying he's a solid player he he makes some great blocks good at the point of attack but it's just times where he can get absolutely dominated and Iowa game was a perfect example uh, you're going to be playing against guys like uh, AJ Epineza in the league that kind of worries me because there there's a lot of guys that I mean have similar skill set to Epineza are faster and stronger. So that kind of worries me about the next level with him. I mean, 
uh, he's definitely not a completed player, and he's a high upside, kind of low floor guy, but I really think that he's got the traits that he's a less risky player than uh, my next guy. He's also an offensive tackle that is a uh, seen as a high upside guy, but no one seems to want to mention the fact that he's got a very low floor, and that's Prince Tega Winogo, the offensive tackle out of Auburn. I have seen people talk about him as a top 50 player in this class, and I mean... Uh, I, I'm going to be very nice. Uh, marijuana is, is legal here in Toronto, and uh, I would like to know where people down south are getting their hands on what is necessary to be smoking in order to think that he's a top 50 player. <laughs> oh Prince Tegawanogo is 133rd on my board and is currently sitting at offensive tackle number 12. He is behind, I'm going to list in order. Jedrick Wills, Andrew Thomas, Tristan Wirfs, Makai Becton, Austin Jackson, Josh Jones, Matt Pert, Isaiah Wilson, Lucas Niang, Ben Barch, and Sadiq Charles. That's a lot of people to be behind. Um, I get that he has only been playing football for like three or four years. Um, I don't see it, though. I really don't. I mean, this this could have been a two-for-one special, especially with Auburn, because I also think that Marlon Davidson, the defensive tackle from Auburn, is incredibly overrated, because I've started seeing him in people's top 20s, and I don't even think I have him in my top 100. Um, so, yeah, like, I don't know what it is about Auburn, but some of their guys this year came out extremely overrated. And Prince Teguanogo, he's got a great story, but I don't see anything really redeeming of his on film. Have not watched him, but I I certainly understand. Um, my next guy, AJ Terrell. Uh, I'm picking on another corner. <laughs> it's okay. LSU picked on him during the national yeah. game. Yeah. Uh, play on a great defense. I think he benefited from that. Uh, had some fantastic guys behind him. Had Isaiah Simmons at times behind him. I mean, I could... I would love to play on the island like that. Jesus Christ. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I just don't. Uh, another guy in the ACC, I was high on Bryce Hall uh, for playing ACC. And for those same reasons, I'm kind of down on A.J. Terrell. Um, we saw when they, once they played LSU, I mean, even to a certain degree against Ohio State, I mean, he was still getting the business. Um, solid build, solid corner. Just don't think he's as good as people are ranking him as. As and it has some holes. Uh, he doesn't really do well against speed guys. He misses jam. It's over with. He has lapses in coverage. Uh, it, it. He generally has good film. He, he's a like I said, he's still a good player, but they there are definitely some holes in this game, and teams exploited him, especially last two games of the season for Clemson. And just not just not a good look. You want to leave, especially that title game, your last chance to to put good film on there. They literally had to switch you off of their main guy, and then the second guy was giving you the business. So it was just like ah man, it it's all bad, but. Like I said, I like him as a player, as a prospect. Don't think he should be as high as people have him top 30, top 40. So, Yeah, I mean, he, he, got, he got worked hard when he had to face some, some actual, you know, top-end talent in that national title game. 
Uh, this is what our this is our fourth guy each. Yes. All right. Um, man, I could easily go with a two for one special on this one, but uh, you know what? Screw it. I'm gonna go for a two for one, and, we'll, and I'll finish off my guys. I'm gonna go to the tight end class. They're both tight ends. Adam Troutman from Dayton, from Dayton, and Albert Okuibunum from Missouri. And I have no idea. I still have no idea if I pronounced Albert's last name uh, properly. But I mean, Albert was a guy that was tight end one for me coming into the season. Loved his film. Loved what I saw in, in in short doses. And this year, once again, proving he can't stay healthy. Now I know that most are a lot, you know, are in around where I am on Albert, but I think that there are still some kind of coming around to the wait a minute, this guy can't seem to stay healthy and play more than like seven games in a season, or just vanishes for like several weeks at a time. Um, and then Adam Troutman, the Dayton kid, I just never saw it on film. Like he's a a D two, he's a FCS guy. Can't remember if Dayton's D two or D one double A. But regardless, like, playing against very weak competition, I expect someone to dominate. But I don't see anything in his film that is particularly dominant and will translate to the next level. And he came down and he had a decent senior bowl. And all of a sudden, people were coming out saying he was tight end one in the class. And I did not get that vibe at all watching him. I mean, we're talking about a guy that, for me, went into the senior bowl at, like, tight end 12 and played well enough to become tight end nine. Like, we are, I am a whole different wavelength than seemingly everyone else, because I don't think since the Senior Bowl I've seen him listed as anything below, like, tight end four. And I just don't see it. Um, He's a better athlete than Adam Shaheen, but I'm not falling into the Adam Shaheen trap again. And I didn't like Shaheen when he came out, so... Yeah, I just don't get it with him. I just don't get it at all. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't blame you for those picks, uh, especially the Dayton tight end. Um, he's someone that, you know, a lot of people just recently started talking about. Uh, I watched a little bit of his tape. Wasn't super impressed. Uh, you know, it just one of those guys. Some people fall in love with, some people don't, you know. So. I, I think I think some people they they obviously want to come out of the senior bowl and they want to have that small school guy that rises and you know we've seen it years past with like Eric Fisher, Carson Wentz, and they wanted Tra- Troutman to be that guy from this year and he's not the guy from this year that was like the feel good story of like the small school guy that played very well in the drills was Ben Barch the D three offensive tackle that played really well in in the drills. It- did I tell you the story? Uh, the the school that he goes to, I almost ended up going to that school. Really? Yep, I went on a visit April, like early April 2014, and it was snowing, and it was cold as and hell. You're from the south. It was like ten degrees. <laughs> Uh, the visit was great. The people were great. Uh, obviously, I ended up going to college in Illinois, but the I saw his name. I saw that he was emerging, and I was like, "Damn, that's, that's good, pretty man. cool." I, He's I know real good. the 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 recruiting coordinator is still there that recruited me, so that was pretty awesome. I saw him on Twitter. You know, he was tweeting about it too. I almost tweeted at him, but you probably wouldn't remember me anyway. But <laughs> uh, that that's that's my story of the day. Um, but anyway, going to this last person I got on the list, um, 
somebody that Matt Miller really likes, and I just can't see it still, is Donovan Peoples-Jones. Um, like I was saying before on, on some previous podcasts, uh, previous episodes that we had, I just don't see it with him. You know, I know that, you know, Matt Miller's thing was that he has the traits, you know, played on a bad team, had a bad quarterback. Instead of a bad quarterback, he had an awful quarterback. A historically bad quarterback. Um, that still, I don't know how he still got his stats the way he did. He literally had the one of the best receiving cores in the college football and couldn't do nothing when when it was time for crunch time. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I I just don't see it on, on see it in him. I just don't see him being that guy. Uh, I can see him being like a return specialist, a, a slot receiver. I don't see him ever becoming the main re- main guy of an offense, main focal point. I think he's a nice guy to have, a serviceable guy, a guy that can do various amounts of things. But I just don't see him as being a super valuable pick. When it comes to the NFL draft, uh, I think obviously you need to have him in the right system uh, with the right coach and everything. But I just don't see him being that transcendent guy. Uh, maybe he tests well at the combine. I'm not even sure if he's in fight or not. I assume he's oh, yeah, probably. Yeah. Uh, maybe he tests well at the combine, do some things off the chart. But just in his tape, I mean, even when Patterson had his hot streak, he still wasn't being targeted, really flashing. Uh, and the one game that really sticks out in my mind is the Penn State game. He dropped like two or three passes that were easy conversions for first downs. So he, he has some consistency issues. Like I said, I know the quarterback has a lot to do with it, but I just don't see him being that guy that a team is going to be pounding the table for, basically. I think that he's somewhere that's going to be like, you know, mid day three, probably in round, sorry, mid day two, probably in around round three. That's where I've got him. He's, and I'm just going to check just to make sure that uh, I got this complete. So, like, he's my 15th ranked wide receiver. So, like, I'm obviously not overly high on him either, but, like, I've got him at 89, which I think will probably put him at around, you know, the end of day two, early part of day three. Um, I think that the combine, if he's able to show out catching from guys that aren't named Shea Patterson, then uh, he'll be able to to kind of separate himself. And I think that he's he's def- I mean, this is a stacked receiving class. He could very easily fall just due to how stacked it is. But like, I've got him in the same territory as guys like Colin Johnson, KJ Hill, uh, Courtney Davis, Tyler Johnson. Yes, I'm sure there are going to be angry Minnesota fans coming in my mentions in a minute and a half. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, I see your point, but I also see Matt's point as to where he can kind of... I mean, this dude is an athletic freak. I think it was a 50-inch vertical that uh, box jump that he posted or something insane like that uh, just in training. And he did it with he did it as if he was reading the newspaper while, while doing it. He just made it look so effortless. Um, but we'll have to see. And uh, we will have to see you guys next week. That's going to do it for this week's episode. As always, you can find me on Twitter at MikeH underscore Draft. Find Devin on Twitter at RealD underscore Jackson. Follow the show at Big Shots Pod. And we'll see you again next week. we got something real big lined up. Take it easy, guys.